0: Hey everyone, my name is Nick Wignall, and you're listening to the Minds and Mics podcast. On this show, I talk with experts in the fields of psychology, behavioral science, and human potential, and try to see the world through their eyes. How do they think differently about topics as diverse as addiction and mindfulness to parenting and motivation? What do they know that most of us don't? And what can we learn from them to improve our own lives in practical, meaningful ways? Brian Wu, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: If a five-year-old asked you what a psychiatrist does, what would you say?
1: Uh, That's a good question. And I have a five-year-old now and I was just trying to explain it to him (laughs) yesterday. Uh, But I would say that we try to help people feel better as a doctor. So uh, my wife is a cancer doctor and we tried to explain that I'm sort of a, a mental health, help people feel better with their brain issues in some sense
0: yeah my it's my five year, almost five-year-old daughter asked me the other day and I was totally blindsided by it which is ridiculous I should have seen that one coming a while ago but How'd you I say? Was kind of, yeah I think so. I, I said something like that I sort of made the analogy that um I'm sort of like all doctors like I try and help people kind of feel better um but mostly when people when they're when their feelings hurt you know when they're when they're really angry or when they're really sad or if they get really afraid sometimes they come talk to me and um, I kind of listened to them and and maybe helped them do things to to feel better, um, and she seemed fairly satisfied with that.
1: <laughs> yeah, my I don't think he was that interested. He just kind of went back to playing.
0: <laughs> I'm sure there will be more opportunities for both of us to yeah. <laughs> articulate what it is we actually do. <laughs> so let's I want to talk ask you briefly about your background. Um, what led you to choose psychiatry as a profession?
1: Yeah, so I kind of grew up along the typical Asian American path about becoming a doctor, but I don't think it was really until I was started to go into my training when I realized psychiatry was what I wanted to do. Uh, Basically, I had the classic line of always wanting to help people. uh, And my pediatrician was like a really big inspiration to me. Uh, And then along the way, I realized that part of what I love to do in helping people is helping them to work on their behaviors and their outlooks on life. Uh, I was always interested in fitness and nutrition. And I thought that it's been hard for me at times to really commit to exercising or commit to eating better. And a lot of that involves psychology and the art of helping people in the sense, coaching them to be their best selves. And for me out of the medical specialties, I found that I had the most time, the most flexibility and the most opportunity to do that in psychiatry. So I, I loved it and uh, I'm almost done with my residency and I've just loved the whole process so far.
0: Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that you're, um, you're, Currently a resident and almost done. Um, I, you know, I, I've been wanting to get someone on the show to talk about psychiatry and psychiatric medication and and how it relates to mental health for a while now, but I've specifically held out because I wanted to find someone young, <laughs> and and the reason for that it's a little counterintuitive. You might think like, well, maybe someone older who has you know tons of experience would be better to talk about this, but in in my experience in mental health, it's often the, the sort of younger um, professionals who are just out of their training, who are the most up to date on like the current research and best practices. And I think it's inevitable that as we get older and, and more experienced, we, we also kind of lose touch with kind of the, the pulse of what's going on at the, at the frontier of the field. So I just want to throw that out there and make uh, people aware of that is that that's specifically um, a big part of why I wanted to get you on because you're, you're sort of fresh out of the gates, um, so to speak. So let me ask you this. Um, When people ask me what the difference between a psychologist and a psychiatrist is, my short answer is that psychiatrists prescribe drugs and psychologists do talk therapy. Is that a good answer? What do you think about that?
1: I I think at the base level, it's a very good answer because I think there's a big difference there where a psychiatrist prescribes. I think we often use the term medicine because we often talk about drug issues with patients um, as well. So we we do use drugs, but we like to say medicine also because I think that's a little more closely related to how uh, they can view other doctors who also prescribe medicine or, and drugs. But um, sort of terminology-wise,
0: That's a great yes. Distinction. yeah. Yeah,
1: so terminology-wise, um, so- yes, definitely. Uh, sorry, it's definitely similar where um, the psychiatrist helps work with the psychologist and the therapist. And usually uh, the best kind of mental health care is involved with a, a big team. And so psychiatrists, psychologists, therapists, all working together to help the things we talked about in the beginning.
0: Yeah. So that, okay. So that's the dream, right? Is that you've, you're, <laughs> you know, I, I, I go in to see some sort of specialist cause I'm really struggling with depression and I've got this like, like the Avengers of mental health, like helping me, you know, they all have like their unique kind of powers and strengths. And I've got a psychiatrist who's working on the, you know, maybe sort of the, the neurochemical side with different medications. And I've got a psychologist I'm doing talk therapy with, and I've got a social worker I'm working on, like more kind of environmental social stuff with, and I've got a, a life coach I'm working with. And so that sounds awesome. How often does that happen in practice in your experience?
1: Uh, I think that's a great analogy because it is probably as rare as how often the Avengers all come together yeah. in the, <laughs> in the movies. So I, I think that is the ideal. You, you get all the superheroes there. you're going to defeat the bad guy that much faster, that much easier. Or if it, the bad guy is super strong, you're that much more well equipped to deal with a severe depression or severe psych- psychiatric issue. But just like I was thinking is there's still standalone movies. And so sometimes Captain America or Iron Man is going to be the one that helps you with this. So uh, the way I was thinking about it is sometimes you go off the chains. So a psychiatrist can do therapy. They can help with social issues. They can prescribe medications. Uh, oftentimes it can be harder to find that type of person, but uh, a psychologist also is very well equipped to dealing with some of those social issues or dealing with other issues. Uh, so it kind of I don't want to say tears, but there's kind of a uh, different levels to where you can get this kind of care and I do think a holistic integrated psychiatrist should at be able to help with uh, many of these different things we're talking about.
0: Yeah, you know, part of me feels like um obviously logistically it is complicated to to get that many people on board. Um but for I think for a lot of people anyway, sometimes the the obstacle is just it's just kind of a knowledge one on on the one hand. Like a lot of people just don't realize that, that it's, it's, you could do that. You could have a psychiatrist and a psychologist and you could deliberately request that they kind of talk to each other and consult with each other in you know to the end of giving you kind of better more comprehensive care so i I think that's really important for people just to just to know i think a lot of people just don't know that um obviously it is a little bit more logistically complicated you you have to sort of coordinate that kind of stuff you have to ask for it you have to you might even have to remind your therapist or your psychiatrist to kind of check in with the with the other provider um but I, i feel like we don't do a good enough job as a field promoting that idea would would you agree
1: yeah, totally. I think that's part of the mental health stigma too, that still mental health care is is an isolated, siloed system where I think just as we're talking about, it's, it's almost like the existence where we didn't know that uh, the Black Panther existed, uh, but he's such a valuable component of the Avengers. And so we often go about treatment as if there's only one person. And something I was thinking about as well is sometimes we also view psychiatrists as sort of this only for crazy people, only for people who have to see someone like that. But uh, the other part of the collaborative care that I wanted to mention is we often work with primary care doctors, internal medicine doctors, family medicine doctors. And we can all work together if, if we want to talk about what type of medications or if they need therapy or all these different kinds of access to care issues. It's a great point that you make because I, it really should be, no matter what you're dealing with, some type of team care and that's going to be always the best way to get the best care in my opinion
0: yeah so it seems like another obstacle to that to, to really getting the avengers together is that a lot of mental health professionals are very siloed in their approach to mental health like the you see it a lot in in psychology anyway there there's there's kind of a disdain for um you know for for psychiatrists and just kind of being pill pushers and that's that's the only way they think about mental health and um and then there's, you know, maybe uh, social workers perhaps rightly uh, criticize psychologists for being too internal and making people think it's all in your head and it's just how you think about things. And when really there's realities of, you know, your environment and your relationships that are really impact your mental health. But it, so I think that's a big obstacle that we as professionals are too narrow in the way we think about treating um, and helping people with mental health struggles. So let me ask you specifically, when it comes to psychiatry, why do you think it is that it, at least it's my impression that so few psychiatrists um, do therapy in addition to um, prescribing medication.
1: So I hope I don't answer this in a, in a too long-winded way, but it reminds me of what you were talking about at the beginning, that uh, as a younger psychiatrist, I think slowly the model for the ideal care is shifting towards this collaborative, integrated work with different discipline care and focused on the person. And in the past, like you're saying with sometimes even, even someone newer trained, I think there's just a difference in opinion where the best care is just sticking to what you do and doing the best you can at that. So there will be traditional psychiatrists that say, I am a psychiatrist. I am only going to prescribe medications. I know the medications, like, don't, don't talk to me about anything else. But um, I think part of that, Unfortunately, is sort of due to the medical uh, reimbursement model. So, you spend all that time getting training to get a medical degree. Uh, you're going to use that medical degree to try to sort of make the most income that you can. That's sort of a separate issue. But I think again, approaching the new model of the best care for the patient is where a psychiatrist provides uh, medication, and even if they're not doing full therapy with the patient. There's an element of what we call supportive therapy in the sessions that's even within 15, 30 minutes that you're talking to the doctor. They're not just saying, here, take this medication leave. They're explaining to you the medication, the side effects, what else you can be doing, who else you should be talking to. And, and you can do a lot of that in even 15 minutes. I mean, we've been talking for about 11 minutes now, and I think we've already hit a lot of really important points that, that often aren't discussed with doctors or psychologists or the people you work with
0: yeah sometimes I wonder if maybe in some ways maybe psych- certain psychiatrists are better at they're more they're more like efficient in their in their therapeutic interventions because they um, <laughs> they have less time. We therapists have these gratuitously long hour long sessions where we can just kind of meander all over the place and you guys have to like really get down and do your therapeutic uh, interventions in in ten or fifteen minutes um, so i don't know it's, I think it's kind of funny to think about um, yeah so on on that topic of like well actually first i I want to get to if if you just had to say in broad strokes when you when you think about your training kind of post medical school but in residency when you're when you're doing your kind of specialized training in psychiatry specifically how what are the relative ratio what's the relative ratio of training in um like talk therapy or sort of supportive? therapy or, or psychoanalysis or something like that versus kind of the medication side of things? Like if you just roughly, how would you break that up?
1: Sure. So I, I wanted to say first that uh, the amount of time you spend with a psychiatrist also can vary. So some psychiatrists have 15 minute slots. Some of them have an hour slot where you can kind of mix and match the therapy and the medications. Uh, our specific residency right now, we are given about 45 minutes for each patient. Uh, And I think we're built to give a little more time, to give them more flexibility since we are in training. And we have to do something called staffing with our supervisors. Uh, So we are given a little more time. I'd say the typical model right now is about an hour for a new patient within a psychiatrist and about 30 minutes for follow-ups. That is pretty different in some sense where most other specialties, often you get about 15 minutes with the uh, psychiatrist. And I think it's shifted a little more where you get about 30 minutes just because I think the ideal is that you can at least give some more discussions with that. But I think one thing, one big takeaway from all this is, is exactly what you're saying, how much this is going to be an individualized, find the right psychiatrist for you. I don't want to say one way or the other is better um, overall, but in my opinion, I want to be the type of psychiatrist that's going to spend that time talking about the medication and a lot of other things. Uh, so that's kind of my my well, thought about that.
0: That's a great segue to a question I had that actually a lot of my readers had asked about um, and wanted me to ask you about, which is, and I know, I know this is a really hard question, but I, I just want to get some of your, I'm not expecting you to give the answer or a definitive answer to this, but just sort of your thoughts on it, which are, and the question is, what makes, in your opinion, what makes for a really good psychiatrist and how do you find one? And that's a really broad question. And again, I, I just want to kind of get your, sort of unofficial thoughts and opinions on that.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's it's a little bit similar to how you find a good therapist or psychologist. Uh, so I actually had my own journey about trying to find uh, a therapist to talk to. From our training, we're encouraged to be able to talk about difficult patients, difficult issues, our own learning. And for me as a physician too, I was like, how do I go about this? And so I think, unfortunately, the first part is, is just access. Uh, it's difficult to know who, who you can go to, uh, where you can go to. And then there's this huge topic of uh, insurance or reimbursement. Um, are you going to pay cash pay? Are you going to go through your insurance? So all those kind of questions are logistical. But I think once you get through that barrier and you're able to actually talk to someone and you're real happy to pay whatever you're paying through insurance or not, uh, I think the connection there is really the most important thing. Like, Do you have similar philosophies on how you view medicine or how do you, are you able to collaborate and feel comfortable about the decision. That's something I really stress when I work with my patients is this collaboration. Like I don't view the old model, again, older model where I tell you what to do and you have to do that or you're not a good patient. It's really like, how can we work together to help you reach your goals? And I think that was one thing you and I had communicated about before that's uh, our sort of way of wanting to work with patients is not an authoritative approach at all?
0: Yeah. So, looking for kind of a spirit of collaboration in particular seems pretty important, and I would agree with you. I, I think that's just as important for that. Maybe the the number one thing for finding a therapist as well. Um, so that's great. I, I like that. Let's. I want to circle back around to the to the topic of psychiatric medication um, or medicine specifically. What What is psychiatric medicine or medication? Like, how do yeah, you think so, about that? Yeah,
1: I I view medication as often a very key component of treatment as a psychiatrist. Um, I don't think it's the end all be all, but there's sort of different classes that we discuss and we have sort of our our armament about how we try to approach what type of drugs are used for what type of patient. Uh, It's kind of like a lot of times we refer to it blood pressure or diabetes medications. There's sort of this uh, first line of medication, second line of medication, and you kind of go down and then you just try to see what's the best fit. I'm happy to kind of go into the specifics of each one, but I thought that's sort of as a broad overview, it's not that different from treating like any other kind of medical issue.
0: Yeah. So a psychiatric medication, it sounds like it's just any kind of medication a doctor would use um, to help with a, any kind of mental health struggle. Right. Um, so let's, yeah, give us, give us kind of the, what's the overall like landscape of psychiatric medications? Like what, what would you say are like the top five or so most commonly prescribed psychiatric meds
1: yeah so uh i guess one thing to expand off is like um the high blood pressure comment was sort of like um and i'm not a family care doctor but there's sort of different classes of blood pressure medications and you often will go to the doctor to talk about which one might be right for you so so similarly for us uh we kind of have our key diagnosis that we treat. There's anxiety, there's depression, there's some of the more um, different classes, like actually psychosis. Uh, and there's lots of other things kind of in between those kind of realms. Uh, so generally, we, we kind of group it as a mood issue, mood being like the anxiety, depression, and then like actually psychotic issues being more like schizophrenia and bipolar, even though there's some blend in between there, I think for... sorry real
0: quick what what does psychotic mean specifically um
1: psychotic is where you actually on a broad level you will like we often ask the kind of screening question like are you hearing or seeing anything that other people don't and most patients who are actually psychotic should uh percent be followed by psychiatrists because there's often a really important need for medication if you kind of stay on the more mood disorder landscape of anxiety, depression, where someone's not trying to hurt themselves, or there's no, uh, what we call like psychotic symptoms, which can happen with the mood disorders as well, then you can really talk about sort of the first line medications for those and then the work with psychologists and in general for anxiety and depression, you don't always need a medication either. So I know that was kind of a a change in the topic there. But I thought that was kind of important.
0: No, that's great. Well, let's, let's kind of move down the ladder then in terms of severity. So if, if you've got, um, so for something like schizophrenia, um, what would a typical medication be? Like what's the, what's the first line?
1: Yes. So I think sometimes it's hard to talk about the t- terminology of these things without getting too granular. But when someone has schizophrenia, they're on an antipsychotic. Um, and so then sometimes that sort of phrase is difficult for people to hear because it's like, I'm not psychotic or I'm not crazy. I don't need to be on this kind of medication, but it's sort of just what it's called. Uh, so there's different kinds of antipsychotics and oftentimes they folk on focus on inhibiting the neurotransmitter dopamine, which is actually sort of the, on a bar level, the feel good, uh, neurotransmitter. And what happens is sometimes you have too much of that. And sometimes you then sort of can't distinguish between what's real or not. And so the, First line of medications are called antipsychotic. They're called second line, uh, second generation uh, antipsychotics, and they work on inhibiting some of those that excess dopamine to help a person sort of become better at having less of these hallucinations or psychotic symptoms, uh, and then being able to sort of better differentiate between what's real or not. Uh, that's kind of on a very broad level. There's a lot of other symptoms that can come about, but. At, at sort of a very basic level, that's what an antipsychotic works on.
0: Sure. And then how about for um, bipolar disorder, either bipolar one or bipolar two, the less severe um, version, what are the most commonly prescribed meds for for those conditions?
1: Yeah. So then bipolar, bipolar one is an element of the psychotic realm because you have an episode of what's called true mania, where you're having psychotic symptoms as well. You're uh, kind of hearing and seeing things that don't exist and you're unable to really kind of have any semblance of, of, a, a normality. And oftentimes those people can be hospitalized. They can be on medications as well. Bipolar two is basically, uh, someone who is not having what we call that true manic episodes. So they're kind of really amped up, but they're not necessarily needing to be hospitalized or any, uh, anything like that. And so we, we still use a, uh, For bipolar one, we still use antipsychotic medication because the the concern is that their psychosis is the more important thing to treat at that time. But then once that's stable, you then start to shift into how can we use a medication that can target both the psychosis and the mood component. And so that's kind of the way we look at bipolar one. Bipolar two can often be treated with uh, an antipsychotic, but sometimes some people can get, sort of what we call more of the mood medication, which can be like a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. um, And in different medications like that, I, I think it kind of gets really complicated, like which direction you go, if you put a big kind of whiteboard, and you're going through down through it, it kind of gets really granular about which section is where. Um, And that's part of the big issue with the diagnostic component too, with the DSM five, I was thinking one thing with with especially your kind of listeners. I imagine we we focus probably a lot on the mood components about anxiety, depression, and I think there's there's still even a lot to talk about about which one you're going for and and which category from there.
0: Yeah, sure. So let's kind of dive into those. Um, What so if someone comes in to see you with um, sort of moderate depression, moderate severity depression, um, what are some of the most commonly prescribed Um, types of like classes of drugs. And then within those classes, what's maybe the most or the the two most common actual drugs that someone might actually hear a psychiatrist uh, recommend that they try.
1: Yeah. And I I think one important distinction too, is I wanted to comment about how we work with family care doctors. So sometimes your family care doctor or your internal medicine doctor is going to be the one that can prescribe you these medications as a first line treatment. So the sort of go-to that a lot of people talk about are the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, SSRIs for short. And a lot of times the first line medications are something called Lexapro or escitalopram, uh, Zoloft or sertraline or Prozac, which is fluoxetine. So those are sort of three of the main ones in this group and there are others, but I think a lot of times those are some of the first ones that are often prescribed. And the way we sort of decide is based off of looking at the person as a whole, uh, but those are often the first lines because they tend to be the ones that have the least amount of side effects, the ones that are what we call most tolerated in patients and that people will take them uh, and they seem to work well.
0: Yeah. So, and then what What about anxiety? Like, um, what are people typically going to be sort of prescribed or recommended when they come in with, um, you know, panic or a lot of, a lot of worry, things like that.
1: So I think one thing that is, is sometimes helpful that doesn't get, uh, explained enough is that anxiety and depression, and you can comment from your side too, is there's actually quite a bit of overlap between them, uh, not necessarily in the diagnostic terms, but in terms of, of how the brain sort of works, uh, it, there's a lot of overlap. So the treatment for us is the same. Um, we for Anybody with anxiety and depression and how it's affecting their life, where they're, they're kind of having poor mood or they're having kind of difficulty with their day-to-day, they often get started on an SSRI because that's the go-to medication that's meant to help balance out the serotonin in their brain, which is often the cause of the depression or part of what's causing the depression, and then help them while they're being treated with the medication to learn how to better handle some of that stress. And that was some of that, to go back some of that collaborative part we're talking about.
0: Okay, wait a second. So if you, it, whether you have depression or anxiety, you're, you're most likely to pres- be prescribed an SSRI or an antidepressant.
1: Yeah, and it's been studied both separately for anxiety, both separately for depression, that the SSRIs are first line medications for trying to treat sort of the underlying issue with these things. And I, I guess the way I view it is that there's a lot of overlap between anxiety and depression and, and how those symptoms present. But yeah, um, basically anxiety, depression, first line treatments, SSRIs, and uh, kind of the ideal a situation as we're talking about is, is you're being treated with medication while also learning how to better handle different kinds of stress and that anxiety that comes up day to day.
0: Gotcha. So the, the, the core idea is that there's a common pathway to both anxiety and depression and that SSRIs are the best way to treat that. Um, wh- what, about, um, wh- what about more anxiety-specific medications? Like I'm thinking about a, a, a lot of my clients are prescribed um, benzos, benzodiazepines, um, a, a class of medication that uh, works more on an- the feeling of anxiety specifically. Can you talk a little bit about benzos and why those um, are or are not prescribed for anxiety.
1: Yeah. And so I think one thing to look at too is you sort of have the underlying issue of anxiety and depression and how that has sort of affected a person over time. So weeks to months, this person continues to feel anxious. They continue to feel depressed. That's actually, in my opinion, the way medications are are more targeting because that chronic stress, that chronic uh, change in the way you think actually changes the neurotransmitters and the functions of the brain. And so the idea is that these SSRIs can help sort of ch- uh, change that back to where you were before, although that's not exactly how we like to explain it, but it helps get someone to be have that sort of less chronic hit. Now, oftentimes somebody is so acutely in the moment stressed out that uh, sometimes benzos are used like Ativan or Xanax or Clonopin. Uh, but the, uh, and, and this is my opinion too, the, that sort of anxiety is actually important for someone to realize about what's causing them that distress. So I actually like to target that anxiety and talk about that kind of anxiety as more of a treatment than covering it up in some sense with uh, an anti anxiety medication. There are people where that anxiety is so severe though that benzos do have a place. I will say the big picture is that benzos can be addicting. They can cause lots of issues uh, in elderlies, uh, especially if someone's also using it with other kinds of medications or drinking. It's kind of like taking a shot of vodka. Sometimes these medications are like that. So it's not the best thing for anxiety, but it does have its place. Uh, The other thing I wanted to just add about that is there's other medications we can often use before you go Uh, prescribe someone a benzo. So we can use something called atarax or hydroxyzine, which is kind of like Benadryl that helps oftentimes calm people down and help them to uh, also sleep if it's needed. And there's something called gabapentin, which can be used as um, also to help people sort of in an acute state of anxiety as well. So those are sort of second line, but often preferred medications because they have less side effects. They're not addicting and, and they don't often cause as many issues as benzos do.
0: Yeah, so the SSRIs are preferred because they have fewer side effects, less addiction potential, um, and and potentially help people in the long term more than um, more than the benzos. Let's. I, I again, I want to do another circle back to a, a topic we you brought up and uh, touched upon that I want to ask more about. Um, so a lot of people have their psychiatric medications prescribed by non psychiatrists. Um, often it's a, a GP, a general practitioner, like a like a family practice doctor, or even a pediatrician, um, or an OBGYN or something like that. In your opinion, like, is this a good thing? Like, w- what are the pros and cons of being prescribed psychiatric meds specifically by a non-psychiatrist? So, for example, I've heard people make the case that most people should get psychiatric meds from their GPs because GPs tend to be more conservative, whereas psychiatrists, as you kind of touched on, are more perhaps financially incentivized to be more Liberal in their prescribing practices, perhaps overly so. How do you? What do you think of this? Like, how do you, how do you think through this issue of psychiatric meds being prescribed by psychiatrists or non psychiatrists?
1: The idea of general practitioners or other physicians prescribing these kinds of medications, I think, is is a really important and wonderful thing. So, the idea uh, that we're talking about of access is that these medications are important for many many people, and so. Destigmatizing that people are on these medications, that they are helpful, and they're not meant to make people feel like zombies or anything like that, is a really important point. So the more that medical doctors in general can understand these kind of medications and uh, prescribe them in a in a healthy way with patients, I think is great. That's sort of improving the access. What sort of happens is that there's still this sort of triage. Like if you're, we mentioned this. Term psychotic. So if you're so psychotic, you have to be in a hospital because you're not safe. That's sort of the same thing about how we view depression. So someone who's just kind of depressed and they they feel like they might need some help and they want to try medication, if that's coming from their general practitioner doctor or their OBGYN, I think that's great. What sort of happens is like, okay, now they tried the first line, they tried Lexapro, they maybe tried uh, Zoloft as well, and they don't feel any better. So then that's kind of like a, now what do I do? And that's often where the psychiatrist can come in because we have other, other medications we can try and feel more comfortable talking about with patients. Cause we, we do prescribe them more. Uh, and that's sort of where that sort of collaboration comes. So a doctor can be like, you know, this patient's tried two medications. They're not getting any better. Are, are you able to see them? And then that's where we're happy to kind of jump in. And, and that's similar to, and, and we make all these analogies, but that's similar to someone who's got high blood pressure and then the, uh, primary care doctors, like, I, you know, I tried a bunch of different medications and they refer them to a cardiologist or someone who has diabetes. And it's like, I, I feel like I'm not making as much progress as I should. And they get referred to an endocrinologist. So I think that sort of collaboration is, is really important. And to also talk about in, in helping understand that there's there shouldn't be as much stigma about mental health care because it's similar to any other medical condition.
0: Um, switching topics a little bit here there's a lot of concern out there about um, children being prescribed psychiatric medication. I mean, the one you hear a lot about is kids being prescribed stimulants um, for ADHD. And there's a lot of strong opinions on on both sides of that. But I'm curious, how as someone who's a, a psychiatrist, but also um, a father with kids of your own, how do you think about the issue of of children being prescribed psychiatric medication? So for example, if a, if a, and I know, I know you're not a pediatrician. I know this isn't your specialty. I'm, I'm more interested in just how you think through the issue. But if a, you know, if someone came to you, let's say a relative came to you and said, "My, you know, twelve year old daughter is really depressed, and I think we should put her on an antidepressant." How would you, how would you think through that, or what would that conversation go like with your, with your relative?
1: Sure. So I think you, you, there's a really important topic to talk about. And there, you actually brought up two of them. So the first is the stimulants, which are often used to treat things like ADHD. And then there's the depression side, which as um, we've been talking about is a different class of medication. So one thing I want to point out is that there are what's called child and adolescent trained psychiatrists. So they go through an additional two years of training just to work on these kind of issues and to get uh, more experience in figuring out these sort of when to prescribe, when not to prescribe, and how to handle these things. So, definitely if you're looking into a child being prescribed a stimulant, uh, you can always still talk to your sort of primary care doctor but uh, or pediatrician, but oftentimes you want to then start talking to a, a child psychiatrist, is, is what often they're referred to. I'll say for myself, um, in my sort of broad overview, all the medications are there for a reason, uh, and they all have their place for the situations. Uh, and so patients who are not able to function without the medications, that's sort of why they're meant to be there and they're helpful for many people. On the depression side, some kids are so sad and that the medications, they they have a place. Um, we do tend to be more conservative in general with the child population because there's so much that they can do on their own. And I think this is one big takeaway I want to have for everyone too. Is, is I think we as a population, as humans, are much more resilient than I think often we give ourselves credit for. So uh, medications definitely have their place, but a lot can be done, like we're talking about, in collaboration with different kinds of people helping you, so that a lot of people can overcome anxiety, depression uh, without medication. And so there is a time and place. but there's a lot that we can do and learn. And I think that's why psychologists and therapists are just also of the utmost importance in the care of someone.
0: So given sort of limited resources, time, money, access, stuff like that, if someone only had the ability to see a, you know, a a therapist versus a psychiatrist, how do you know when you should point someone toward one or the other? Like what would be sort of your flow chart or decision tree for deciding, you know, which path someone should go down
1: so the there's sort of that level of severity that we're talking about there's the idea that someone is unsafe whether that's because they want to hurt themselves or because they're just not able to function those are the type of patients that often will need a psychiatrist because there's a, a space for medication there's the severity of the situation that a psychiatrist can feel more comfortable with dealing with and knowing where to uh, have a patient go to, because those are sort of more of the medical emergency style cases. But there is someone who's like able to go to work. They're able to have relationships uh, and they're, they're able to kind of get through the day-to-day, but there's sort of this chronic level of like something's just not right, or I'm, I'm just not feeling as I used to be those are often the cases where you go talk to the therapist, you go talk to a psychologist and you guys are able to work through those things, but it's, it's sort of similar to the primary care doctor referring to a psychiatrist. If you're seeing that therapist and you just feel like you're not making progress or there's something like that you feel like could else could be done. That's often when you can go talk to your primary care doctor to try a medication. And then if all of that's not working, uh, the psychiatrist is often there sort of, not as a last line of resort, but as sort of someone who can help to try to manage all of these things and help make sure that the person's getting the best model of care possible.
0: A question I get asked a lot is, how do I, as a therapist, I get asked a lot, and so I, I can't give a great answer to this, but that's why I'm interested in asking you, how do I know if my meds are working? So my question for you is, how do you talk to your patients when you prescribe a medication, like let's say you you prescribe someone Prozac, how do you talk to them about how they should think about whether this medication is helpful or working or not?
1: Sure. And that's, that's a really important question because a lot of what we end up talking about is this idea of the medications, the compliance, the side effects. So if we start someone on Prozac, we basically tell them, this is a medication that's meant to help your mood. It takes some time to work. Uh, it kind of helps in the long term, so you want to take it every day. Try to take it at the same time. Some of the side effects we look for is that it can cause like GI upset. For some people, it can cause them some headaches. Sort of the the basic. I, I actually think that most medications can cause most people any kind of side effects. So you kind of just watch out for that and you try to t- uh, tolerate it, which means that it's. You feel like the benefit of the medication long-term is more important than sort of that discomfort you feel initially. And then we say, once you're able to take it for two weeks, um, we kind of check in and see how things are going. And then you kind of see in about a month or two months, if there's any difference in how you feel. A lot of times we sort of use a very subjective measure. Like when you started taking the medication, you were a, like, uh, 20 out of 100 where 100 is the best you ever felt. So 20% means you were not feeling good at all. You've been taking the medication now for about a month or two months. How do you feel now? Some patients come back, it's like, I don't really feel any better. I'm still 20. Or some patients are like, oh, I feel like I'm like a 50, I'm a 60 now. And that kind of gives you a gauge of how the medication is working. For those patients who are staying at a 20, we're like, okay, well, do we want to go up on the dose? Do we want to give it some more time? Uh, What else can we do? And that's sort of how we we go about each visit? So, um, say they are started on Prozac. We, we give them like six months on this medication, we're on the maximum dose, which it kind of goes like starts at twenty and can go up to like sixty. So they're they've now been on sixty milligrams of Prozac for about six months, and they still feel like they're at a twenty. Then that's a the point where we're like, okay, let's try a different medication. Oftentimes in the same class, the SSRIs. So we might switch someone to Lexapro, Zoloft, and then give them. A couple months on that and see how that goes and then there's a whole other options from there but i think that's sort of a subjective way that you can often think about it for your mood it's like how do you feel on the medication versus not on the medication and how does it feel what's that difference over time
0: gotcha okay we've got a few more minutes here um i've got some specific reader questions um that i thought were interesting i wanted to to throw at you here um So one reader wrote in um, describing some specifics of their current um, medication regimen and goals. And I I know you obviously can't and would not give specific advice to someone via a podcast. But I think this first question is, it's just an, an interesting question that I think a lot of people struggle with. So I'd be curious about your general thoughts about this issue. But this person wrote in saying, I've been prescribed and I'm taking at bedtime 50 milligrams of trazodone and 30 milligrams of duloxetine, apparently to handle my anxiety and help get a reasonable good night's sleep. I would really like to get off these meds, but I'm worried that it might have negative impacts. Um, I did speak to my PCP, who said these dosages are relatively low, and since it has apparently helped so far to not rock the boat, any input you could provide toward ridding myself completely of all these mind-centric meds would be greatly appreciated. So I I wanted to ask you this question and bring it up, because I think a lot of people just have a lot of... Um, Uh, sort of fear or concern about psychiatric meds. And I, you know, I think that's understandable, um, maybe even warranted in in some cases, but this issue of, of people wanting to get off meds eventually, like, how do you, how do you think, how do you think through that? Um, What's your kind of take on that?
1: Yeah. I, I think, again, this is the importance of that collaborative discussion because there is a point where you're doing well, you want to get off the medication, and that should be a conversation you should always feel comfortable having with your doctor. The way we kind of look at it on a broad level again is: uh, how long has it been since you felt bad? Uh, are you sleeping better? Um, how is your anxiety at this point? So, if you're you've been on this medication for two years, you have like no problems, you're feeling great, and you're now talking about can you come off these medications? Basically, the way uh, we often do it is it's just in a very slow fashion. So. Um, you're on, let's take this specific case, you're on Trazodone 50 and Cymbalta or Duloxetine 30, those are sort of the it's very low doses. But say you're doing really well, you can try taking one off. So Trazodone is actually more specifically for sleep. Um, so we probably take that off first. Or in, in this case, it's actually they're on lower doses, it doesn't matter as much. But you could try taking one off for like a week and calling into your doctor and telling him how you're feeling at that point. Like Do you notice that you're not sleeping as well, the anxiety is worse, are any of these things recurring? So that's kind of the art of medicine still. So uh, how are you feeling once you take one of them off? Um, So, and if you feel great, there's no changes in two weeks, in a month, then you say, okay, let me try taking this other one off too. And that's kind of the, the way we often try this. The problem is, is that if you feel worse at all, when you're not taking the medication, that could be a sign that you, may want to be on it for a long term. And that's just a lot of people are on these medications long term. Uh, it's really hard to, to say like how someone's going to react to these things.
0: What about the, what about the idea there that you sometimes get rebound effects? So if, if you've been on a medication for insomnia um, that kind of helps you relax and, and fall asleep, wouldn't it make sense that when you go off it, you get kind of a rebound effect and maybe have a harder time? doesn't mean necessarily anything's worse or wrong. Um, how, how would you kind of suss that out?
1: Yeah, I think, I think a lot of these medications in general, they kind of both coming on or coming off of them, each person is so different, you don't know how they're going to react. But I think that's part of the the importance of the continued relationship building with therapist, doctor, whoever. So if you're coming off that medication, and then all of a sudden, you're like, I'm sleeping so much worse, you kind of talk about, well, do you want to How important is it to you to come off this medication? Do you want to see if you're better in two weeks or do you feel like you want to take that medication because it's just not tolerable? A lot of that is the discussion with your doctor. So it's the same thing when you're starting the antidepressant, like is this um, kind of nausea that you're feeling, is it so bad that you don't want to take this medication or do you think you can push through it because the importance of taking this medication to help you is, is going to be more important. So it's the same with these kind of medications like the sleep.
0: Yeah. You know, I often tell my clients in therapy that two of the most important things to think about in, in, in therapy going well is collaboration, right, on both our parts. We both have to be kind of willing to work together and be open to being flexible and, and trying new things. Um, but then also patience, like on, on both of our parts, on the client and, and the therapist side, that these things take time, like nothing changes right away. And it, one of the things I'm getting from you is that it's, it seems like it's very much the same with psychiatry, that things being you, you want to find someone who's collaborative, Um, but the, um, patience is, is both an important thing, both for yourself as the person trying out new medications and, or maybe getting off of them, but also finding a a provider who is willing to be patient with you, um, as you work through things.
1: Yeah. 100%. Um, just to say on this, because a lot of times patients come in and they're like, I want a medication that's going to fix me overnight. And one of the big things we have to tell them is that there's no medication that can do that. Um, oftentimes I think. Just to go back to this analogy, you, you can take start taking blood pressure med- medication and your blood pressure improves right away, but our brains are just in some sense a, a lot different and maybe more complex that you no know, medication will typically work uh, overnight for depression and anxiety.
0: Right. All right, final question here. It's a real zinger uh, from a from a, a really um, from a reader um, who writes in saying, how can we really trust any new medicine that comes on the market when there is publication bias, huge amounts of money involved to get a positive result, large amounts of data that are not published, also known as the file drawer effect, and many new antidepressants that are only slightly different to the last? Whew. Okay. It's a lot in there. Uh, reactions?
1: <laughs> sure. So um, I'm, I'm actually, I did my PhD training as well. So I appreciate this kind of question. And, and I think it's important to ask. I think it comes down to the same thing we're talking about all of this treatment is a collaboration. So if you go to your doctor and they want to start you on this, you have that conversation with them. You ask them those tough questions. And if at the end of the day, you st- that doctor still feels like it's a medication that's for you, or you want to try this medication, you guys just have that discussion about, is it is it right for you? And if it, they are saying you have to take this medication and you don't want to, then that could be a sign that this doctor might not be for you. But I do think all these new medications that are coming out, all of this research is meant, is hopefully designed with the patient ultimately in mind so that some patients really are going to benefit from this new medication. And then that's the medication that this, uh, that's the patient that this medication is for. And so those are the people we want to help. Um, But there are, of course, like you're saying, all these other issues that are related to it. But I think it's part of that collaboration is part of that understanding of Why am I being prescribed this medication?
0: Well, Brian, thank you so much. This has been um, really uh, interesting and I I think very specifically helpful. I think you've tackled a lot of um, uh, tough questions in a really uh, succinct and clear way. So um, I really appreciate it. And I'm I'm sure a lot of the listeners will too. Where can people go to learn more about you and your work?
1: Sure. So my website is brianwwu or brianwwu.com. And I'm happy to talk to anybody else.
0: Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Minds and Mics. If you haven't done so already, I'd appreciate it if you took one minute to give us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps out a lot. And if you've already done that, please consider sharing Minds and Mics with a friend or family member you think would enjoy it. As always, thank you for continuing to support the show, and we'll see you next time.